Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. One of the president's ride-or-die defenders is legal advisor Jenna Ellis. It's such a political prosecution and a political persecution. Quote. This to me is a clear violation of the Fourth Amendment. It's revisionist originalism. Tolerance just isn't a two-way street with the Democrats. And I think that tells you all we need to know. Newsmax contributor and former legal counsel to President Trump. Jenna Ellis. Happy Friday, friends, and welcome to Jenna Ellis in the morning. And we have a wonderful surprise for you today. And you're going to want to stay the entire hour with us because uh, we have permission to play the full speech from Governor Ron DeSantis in Florida that he made during an event at the Trump Doral in Miami just a few weeks ago. And uh, you know, I think that this will give people a really great perspective of uh, Governor DeSantis, where his uh, priorities have been for the state of Florida, how he views uh, a lot of uh, the issues that are facing not only the free state of Florida, but also the country from a wider perspective. And uh, we're going to play that in the uh, next segment of this show. But I want to set it up with this, um, because you know, there has been a lot of conjecture and a lot of, um, whether it's concern or celebration, I think, on, on both sides, of whether Governor DeSantis is going to jump into the presidential race. And my prediction is that he will. I think that there are a number of issues that are currently being contemplated by uh, not only him and his campaign, but the state of Florida. And um, and this is just my opinion, my uh, projection down the road. So we'll see about this. But I think it's important to highlight for people who are um, are Trump supporters or people who want to become DeSantis supporters, um, people who are concerned about this uh, probably inevitable clash between uh, Trump and DeSantis. And of course, the wide variety of other candidates that have jumped into the race, including our good friend um, Vivek Ramaswamy, uh, and who joins us weekly, uh, generally on Wednesdays. Um, and thank you to everyone who has uh, emailed us. You can email us at jenna at AFR.net. And um, a lot of people have written in and asked questions um, of Vivek that we will, uh, of course, ask on uh, any of those segments that he joins us. And we're uh, hoping also to get interviews with not only Governor DeSantis, um, but also with uh, Nikki Haley, Mike Pompeo, who has not yet announced. Um, and of course, we'll extend invitations to you know others as they jump into the presidential race. Um, but it's important, I think, to set up the the kind of the groundwork uh, and the the foundation of how we should be looking at this uh, this potential setup between Trump versus DeSantis. Um, of course, Trump is the uh, the de facto head of the Republican Party and is running his campaign basically as an incumbent, um, that he is entitled to the nomination as the former president, as someone who's going into 2024 and in his view was uh, robbed of a uh, of a second term. And I think those of us who are very concerned about election integrity issues uh, see the issues that happened um, in the wake of the 2020 election and would love to see him get a second term. Um, but then the reality is uh, he's not actually the incumbent. So this is, for all intents and purposes, an open primary. And so enter the contemplation of a Ron DeSantis, who is uh, the most popular Republican governor in the country. And although, you know, I have a a concern and I have a constitutional 
uh, challenge to, you know, the one action that he took. um, and, And it was also the state legislature, obviously with uh with the walt disney company um other than that uh, i am a huge fan and i don't have to like you don't have to agree with absolutely every action of a candidate for office or even a a current office holder to really genuinely like them um i think that it is a mistake to think that we have to align a hundred percent behind everything and we can't criticize anyone that is in our party or who is a current office holder or who we may support down the line for another office or you know any of those types of uh, questions because we are never going to agree a hundred percent with our fellow Republicans on every issue and you know the founders evidenced this very well when uh, they debated very passionately and heated heated debate at the Constitutional Convention to originate our system of government. They all had a wide variety of views, and while some won out and and others uh, didn't, did that mean that the the politicians or the you know the lawyers or the founders that were there in attendance you know the delegates to the constitutional convention that you know oh they weren't genuine conservatives and you know in that metric because um, you know Hamilton uh, his argument against a bill of rights lost out to James Madison and we do have uh, you know the first ten amendments to the United States Constitution that are our bill of rights well then that means that we can just disregard Hamilton completely well. No, I actually think he was right in that debate, um, even though James Madison won out. And and I think for practical purposes, especially fast forwarding 250 years, I'm glad that Madison ultimately won that challenge and, and ultimately won that debate and that argument. I think it's very good that we have enumerated protections in our Bill of Rights um, that fix and make certain that parts of our rights Um, are specifically enumerated in the Constitution. So there is no debate about whether or not we have a constitutionally protected right to free exercise of religion or freedom of speech, for example, or the right to keep and bear arms. Now, what that actually means and how that is applied, of course, has been debated and heavily litigated uh, throughout uh, our, our American history. But at least we have the specifically enumerated right. So does that mean that, you know, Hamilton uh, just... You know, we we just should discard him as a founder. Well, absolutely not. And I think we need to take that same principle and apply it to our current situation and our current uh, lineup of United States politicians and our Republican uh, Party candidates. And that absolutely should be applied both to Donald Trump and to Ron DeSantis and to every other candidate that jumps into the race. We may uh, like certain things about Donald Trump and be very grateful for what he did. Um, A lot of people that I know have some questions and concerns, and rightly so, about things like personnel decisions, um, things about uh, where he stands on the LGBT issue. Um, those are those are things that Christians and conservatives absolutely should be concerned about and question. Um, but does that mean that you can't ultimately support him? Well, I think that then you look at the contrast of Ron DeSantis and look at his current track record in the state of Florida and whether you agree with 99% of it and have, you know, the kind of this one red flag outlier of, of the Disney issue from a constitutional protection of free speech for all perspective. Well, okay, that's an outlier. That doesn't mean that I wouldn't support Ron DeSantis. Now, is that a, is that a concern? Well, 
Yes. And it will ultimately come down to what we, the people, we, the voters, understand to be the best candidate to move forward and to actually take the office of United States president and best champion all of the values and the policy positions within the boundaries of the executive office and who is best able to do that. Now, our friend Vivek would say, let's not get to that question until later on in the primary. Let's talk first about our our identity as a Republican party. Let's talk about our identity as a conservative party. Let's reclaim what it means to be an American. Let's make sure that we all are coming from the same foundational perspectives. And I think there actually is a lot of wisdom in that. And so a lot of people have asked me, um, of course, having formerly worked for and represented uh, President Trump as an advocate and attorney, and um, and then, of course, being a fan of uh, Ron DeSantis, and um, I've had the opportunity to meet him a few times, um, a lot of people are asking me, you know, well, where do you stand and whom do you support? Well, right now, I think it's incredibly important to hear everyone. And I don't think, um, from my perspective, that we should be making these very siloed decisions to just be on Team Trump or just be on Team DeSantis, who hasn't even jumped in the race yet. Um, I would love to see all of us go back to a foundational threshold of where do we want the direction of this country to go? Let's talk about the places that we overlap because Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis and Vivek and even Mike Pompeo and to a lesser extent, but some extent, um, Nikki Haley overlap actually on quite a lot. And if we look for where they agree all of those candidates agree, instead of focusing on the very slim, marginal areas that they disagree or where we would disagree with them, I think we would see that there is a huge overlap. And I'm encouraged by that. And I'll tell you why. I am encouraged because that means that we have more than one leader. President Trump in 2016 was the only one on that stage who was talking about draining the swamp shining the light on the establishment, uh, disgusting regime that has been in Washington, um, building a a wall, having border security. I mean, so many of these policies um, and actually being the most pro-life president um, so far in my lifetime. We don't have to go back decades um, to when I was born in the early 1980s and 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 highlight Ronald Reagan. We can actually just go back two years ago to the greatest conservative president of my lifetime because of what Donald Trump advocated for. And I would submit that the overlap between President Trump, Ron DeSantis, Vivek Ramaswamy, Mike Pompeo, even Nikki Haley, um, and, and Mike Pence, and a few of these other candidates that will jump in actually genuinely overlap on so much. And I am encouraged by that because it means that Donald Trump did his job in 2016 and he successfully led a, a revolution and a an understanding of the Republican Party that has overhauled how we approach our Republican primary. We haven't had another one that has been an open primary since 2016. And I think if we contrast 
what we anticipate to be that primary stage in the 2024 primary compared to the 2016 primary, we will see a huge contrast in not only the people on that stage because of Donald Trump, but also how voters are looking at those candidates, how we are evaluating them, what we expect from them, and the boldness of their policy positions and calling out genuine conservatism. And so I think it's a great thing to focus and champion all of the candidates that are speaking the right message, the right policy, the right future for not only the Republican Party, but for America. And so right now I am championing my good friend, President Donald Trump. I am championing Governor Ron DeSantis for everything he's doing in the, in the free state of Florida. I'm championing my good friend, Vivek Ramaswamy. I am championing Mike Pompeo. I am championing, um, again, with, with a little bit of a caveat, Nikki Haley. I'm championing a lot of the great things, even that Mike Pence. And, you know, and obviously a lot of you know, I have some um, very, you know, deep contrasts with, with Mike Pence. But overall, his policy positions are for religious liberty, are for constitutional conservatism, for limited government, all of those things. So where we overlap, let's focus on that. Let's champion that. And let's show the contrast, as Sarah Sanders said, the difference between normal versus crazy. So in that framework and that mindset, I want you to listen to the full scope of this speech from Governor Ron DeSantis. And, and I was there for this speech. I saw the excitement in the room. And um, after he spoke, then um, a few minutes later, actually, President Trump called in and spoke. And the energy in the room, of course, was uh, was lit and terrific. And, um, and what I loved about this was that it was a room full of conservatives and the movers and shakers of not only the party, but incredibly important issues that were excitedly clapping for Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump. There was not this tribalistic division of teams and siloed. And I love that. So when we come back from this break, we are going to play the full speech of Governor DeSantis that I think really, really shows how much headway we have made as a Republican Party to stand up for the truth to be bold and to say, here's where we stand and we are not going to be this weak, spineless party any longer. We'll be right back right here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. Speaking truth with love. This is Jenna Ellis in the morning. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the morning. And as I promised a prior to the break, we will be playing the full speech by Governor Ron DeSantis a couple of weeks ago in Miami, Florida. And I want you to listen to this, not from a perspective of Trump versus DeSantis or anyone versus whomever, but from the context of how much this speech really champions, I think, everything that we all stand for. Listen to this. Thank you, Tom. And let me welcome CNP to the nation's beating heart of liberty, the free state of Florida. Thank you. We love you too, and we're proud of what we've been able to do in the state of Florida. But it's important to understand none of this was preordained. If you go back to November of 2018, I emerged the winner of a very hard-fought uh, election, 
had a lot of uh, winds blowing against us, media, you name it. We won that race by about a half a percentage point. We won by a total net votes of about 32,000 votes in a state of, at that time, probably about 21 million people. And the demography of our state was such that there were 300,000 more registered Democrats in Florida than Republicans. Well, fast forward to this November, and not only did we win re-election, instead of 32,000 votes, we won by 1.5 million vote margin. The largest margin for any governor race in Florida history, nearly 20% uh, of the vote margin, and we got the highest percentage of the vote that any Republican governor candidate has received in the history of the state of Florida. By election day 2022, whereas we had been in the hole almost 300,000 registrations, we had our election where we were up 300,000 registrations over the Democrats. The first time in our history that we've had more registered Republicans and Democrats. And today, less than 90 days after that election, when we were up 300,000 registrants, Republicans are now up 410,000 registrants. We also stand here today as the nation's fastest growing state. We stand here today as the, as the state leading the nation in net in-migration, not just last year, but over the last few years. We are number one in the country in education freedom. We are number one in the country in parental involvement in education, and we are number one in the country in public higher education. Many of you know we have no income tax, and hence we have one of the lowest per capita tax burdens of any state in these United States, as well as one of the lowest debt burdens of any state per capita in these United States. And we're currently enjoying the largest budget surplus in the history of the state of Florida. So, so, so how did we get here? Because uh, I think it's a lesson that can be replicated in other states and, and throughout the country. So I take office in January of 2019. And a lot of people were saying, look, uh, it was a very close election, very closely divided state. And in fact, if you look at the decade leading into me getting elected governor, 2010, governor race, one-point margin. 2012, presidential race, one-point margin. 2014, governor race, one-point margin. 2016, presidential, one-point margin. And of course, mine was even less than one point. So that's the political terrain that you're facing. People said, you know, you got to probably trim your sails a little bit. Uh, you got to understand that, that this was a very close election and, uh, and just be mindful of that. And my view was, you know, I may have gotten 50% of the vote, but I earned 100% of the executive power, and I intend to use it. I intend to use it because I had an agenda that I had pledged that I would, that I would pursue. But I also intended to use it because I knew successfully implementing that agenda would lead me much higher uh, than 50% uh, in the future. Now, to do this, I made the decision I am not doing any polls. Uh, the polls can tell you maybe a snapshot. I don't even think they ask the right questions. A poll does not tell you what the result of leadership is. I could poll this room about something. 
That's a snapshot in time. What I'm interested in is if I set the vision and execute the vision and produce results, then what are people going to say? So we never use polls. And people say, well, how do you know? You kind of got to test like, like what's going on. I'm out and about all the time, so I talk to people. But one of the things I use just for feedback is, you know, if I'm doing things and the legacy media is upset and they're attacking me, I know I am on the right track. I made sure to get all the different authorities that I had, constitutional, statutory, customary. What can I do alone? What do I need the legislator for? What can I do vis-a-vis -vis local governments, like removing these election officials? So we knew uh, the powers, and that's important because you're an executive. You're not the, the king. You're part of a constitutional system. So you have an agenda, and you got to get the agenda to stick. So you got to know what levers to pull, and you got to know where the, where the potential landmines are. So we understood that um, on day one. And we also uh, had the view that I'm not just going to sit back and, and hope that good things happen or be reactive to what the media is doing. I'm going on offense. We're going on offense every single day. And we made a big impact in that first year, and people were like, wow, this is uh, uh, what Hamilton called energy in the executive, and we were proud of that. Then COVID hit, and that kind of upended everything that, that was going on. And, and I was in a situation, given our state's unique demographics, one of the largest states in the country, massive metro areas all across the country, one of the most elderly populations uh, in the country that I was targeted by the media because they wanted Florida to fail. And so we as a leader had to make the decision because, you know, the safe thing to do is to just say, you know, these health bureaucrats are telling me I've got to do all these things, so I'm just going to do that and I'm going to say, what do you want me to do? That's what the medical people are saying. But that wasn't the way I saw it. You know, I believe when President Eisenhower gave his farewell address, he got it right. He said that, you know, with science and government research and all this stuff being intermingled, there's a danger that public policy itself could become captive, captive to what he called a scientific technological elite. He warned against that. He warned, it was basically warning against people like Dr. Fauci, because they do not have, because they do not have the capacity to get outside their narrow window and understand all the different competing factors in society. It's really up to the leader, the elected leader, the statesman, to harmonize all those different things. And so we made the decision, uh, we are going to defy the experts. We are not going to allow the state of Florida to descend into some type of Faucian dystopia. Now, this was something that was not necessarily the smart thing to do politically. Because if you go back to April, May, June 2020, it was mass hysteria. Uh, anytime you were doing, thinking for yourself, they were coming after, they were coming after me big time. I had a lot of my own supporters saying, man, you got to do something different because you are getting hammered day in and day out. Uh, but my view on all that was, as a leader... I got to look out for the people that elected me. I got to look out for their jobs, and I have to prefer their interests over my own interests. So I didn't know what the politics would do. I thought maybe it would end up being bad for me, but I was perfectly willing to accept those consequences if I knew in my heart I was doing what was right. And, and the funny thing happened that what the people of Florida saw, even though, you know, if you looked at these polls and the media would put out, 
the businesses, the schools, everything we did, uh, I was on the wrong side of opinion according to what people were saying. But you know, what I think the people of Florida saw is this guy knows his stuff. Uh, he's got the vision. He's standing his ground. Uh, he's not backing down. And after a few months later, people had been converted and we started to develop a culture of Florida that yes, you know, we are doing it different um, and we're the free state of Florida. So that was a huge, huge test. We all had to face it, but we're proud of being, being one of the few uh, who stood up when it really, really counted. And I think if Florida had not done what we did, uh, I think the lockdowners would have won. Uh, I think the vax mandates would have won. And I think this country would be less free than it is today. But that's just not, that's not really the only way, reason why we're the free state of Florida. What I tell people, and I think most of you know, that freedom is under attack, not just by what happens in the halls of legislatures, not even just what happens at the hands of our bureaucracy, which is really serious, but you have leftist ideology that has taken over so many institutions in our society. You see it in K-12 education, higher education, corporate America, tech, all these different things, and they're trying to impose an agenda that is antithetical to our founding principles and to the survival of freedom. So in Florida, we believe a key part of freedom is to protect our people from the pathologies of the left being shoved down their throat in institution after institution. And so we're on offense across all of those institutions. We believe our K-12 school system should be about classical education, not political indoctrination. We've led the nation on school choice and we are expanding that this year. We are also the only state that I know of that's taking on school unions. We are gonna institute paycheck protection for all teachers in the state of Florida. We have banned critical race theory in our K through 12 schools because we're not gonna teach our kids to hate our country or to hate each other, especially on your taxpayer's dime. And when we had a recent thing where the college board was proposing a new AP course in African-American studies, we looked and we said, okay, there's three sections. And then there's a fourth section, which is Marxist studies. They had queer theory, they had gender ideology, they had reparations, they had BLM, they had all this stuff. And so I don't think Florida was the only state that actually found that objectionable, it clearly doesn't follow our standards, but we were the only state willing to stand up publicly and fight it. And the reason is very simple. You know the reason, the minute we did that, what were they saying about me? Calling your names, doing this, doing that. But we cannot allow the left to have a veto over us doing what's right just because they're gonna call you bad names. And we don't allow that in the state of Florida. So we stood up and the college board took the woke out. So that is a victory for education in this country. We've also been on the front lines on fighting gender ideology in our schools. 
We even had a little kerfluffle with a company that has a, a little bit of a footprint in the state of Florida. They didn't like the fact that we were saying no to sexualizing young kids and having gender ideology. And a lot of people said we couldn't do this because they're too powerful and they always get their way. But we had news for them. They don't run the state of Florida. We run the state of Florida. So we signed it in the law. We did what was right. And we fought back. And now, because we did that, this week, next week, sometime in the next few weeks, I'll be signing legislation that will finally and permanently remove Disney's self-governing status in the state of Florida. They're going to pay their fair share of taxes. They're going to pay the debts. And nobody in Florida is going to have to pay more. And it's very important. And you know, when I was doing that, there was a, there was a big uh, spasm with the media. And what they tried to say is, oh, DeSantis stand because Disney, they're too powerful. He can't do it. I did it. And then like, well, the Disney employees are going to penalize him for standing up against, against that. Well, most Disney employees live in Osceola County. And a Republican governor candidate hasn't won that in quite some time. Uh, until me, and we want it going away. So it just shows you. We're proud of what we're doing, what we have done, and what we're continue to do to reform higher education in this country and in our state. Um, the purpose of higher education somehow has devolved into the imposition of a particular ideology and to using these institutions to promote political activism and social justice. That is not the proper purpose of a university. University is about the pursuit of truth. It's about academic rigor. It's about giving students the foundation so they can think for themselves about great issues that come before our society. And I reject this idea that if we're bringing accountability to higher education, somehow that's a misuse of government. These are public institutions that are funded by the taxpayer. They don't have the right to do whatever the heck they want to do with your money. So we're bringing accountability. We've already enacted reform to tenure. Now in the state of Florida, all tenured professors must undergo review once every five years and can be let go by the Board of Trustees. And we have civics institutes that have been put in three of our universities modeled after what's happened in Princeton with Robbie George, but we are gonna this year put reforms in so that those institutes can hire people directly through the Board of Trustees so that the current faculty don't have an ideological veto over the people that we're bringing in to teach. You may have heard, uh, you probably never heard of this place before two months ago, but more recently, we had a small liberal arts college in Sarasota called New College. Uh, I didn't know what it was when I first became governor. I worked, I said, can we close it? And uh, we, didn't, we didn't quite get that done. So I said, all right, we gotta do something with it. It's supposed to be the premier liberal arts honors college in the state of Florida, but instead, uh, it's basically like Marxist studies, left of left, I mean, just totally unproductive. And so we put seven conservative board members at the university. 
They've replaced the president. And they have a mission to turn it into whatever it is now into the premier classical liberal arts education in all of the United States. We announced this year, and we'll get it done through the legislature in our upcoming session, and I think we'll be the first state to do this, the elimination of all DEI bureaucracies and bureaucrats in every university and college in the state of Florida. This is basically like Maoist in what they're doing by trying to impose this type of leftist ideology and worldview. Bad enough when that's in the classroom, but to make that the official policy of the administrations in all these universities. And so this has grown like wildfire all throughout the state, all throughout the country. Um, and in the state of Florida, um, it's about to die a sudden death. And the universities are important because if you think about what we're dealing with with corporate wokeness, the corporate wokeness is a direct result of what's been going on in these universities for the last 20 years. These are people that came up, they all share the same overall worldview, and they try to impose that uh, through the economic sphere. This would not have been something we would have been concerned about probably 40, 50 years ago, but now it's a huge, huge issue. So in Florida, we're leading the fight against things like ESG, what they're trying to do. And it's not just that it's bad policy, it is bad policy. The idea that we're gonna do windmills and solar for energy is absurd. But it's more than just what policies. What they're trying to do is distort constitutional government. These are policies that could not be enacted through the normal constitutional process. They're trying to do an end run around that, pool their economic might, and then impose this on our society with no accountability from anywhere. So what I've said repeatedly is in the state of Florida, policies like you see in Davos at the World Economic Forum in these places, those policies are dead on arrival here in Florida. And we've got more to do in the corporate sphere. We're gonna do anti-discrimination in the financial institutions so that they can't discriminate against gun shop owners or Christians and their banking practices. We're gonna protect employees from having to suffer through these discriminatory DEI trainings in the corporate sphere. It's totally ridiculous. And we're also going on offense in other places that the left have got a foothold. Criminal justice. We have Soros funding and electing prosecutors all across this country to ignore the law and put their own people at risk. We had one in Tampa that said he was not going to follow the pro-life laws that we had enacted. And he said that and he signed a letter to that effect. So I removed him from his post. It is our responsibility and duty in the state of Florida to fight the woke wherever it may be. And so we fight the woke in the corporations. We fight the woke in the halls of the legislature. We fight the woke in the schools and in the university. We will never surrender to the woke mob. The state of Florida is where woke goes to die.
Now, we're proud of all that we've been able to do and lead on. I tell you, the indispensable element that we need from elected officials in particular is you can be right on the issues, you can understand them, but you've got to have the courage of your convictions to stand up when it's not easy. Because when you're going after these sacred cows of the left, they don't just take that lying down. They come after you. It's not always easy to have to deal with that. So you gotta be willing to stand strong, not back down, and you gotta be willing to tell it like it is. And I can tell you in Florida, if you ask people about me, people that, that, that like me, but even people that may not have voted for me, they will all acknowledge that I stand for what I believe in and I speak what I believe. And this is just being a straight shooter and being someone that you know what you're going to get. People respond to that. They're sick of shifty politicians trying to bend to the wind, trying to please everybody. You're not going to please everybody. But when you recognize that and you do what's right, you end up pleasing a lot more people uh, than you would otherwise thought. So I think what we've shown in the state of Florida is that if you exercise strong leadership, if you implement a bold agenda that are rooted in our common principles, not only can you deliver historic policy results, but you can also win historic political victories. I mentioned uh, the great margin we had, and I thank Floridians. We had a lot of great support from pro-life Floridians who were very instrumental in getting us where we were. We won, now that we have all the data, we ended up winning over 60% of Latinos in the state of Florida. We won right here in Miami-Dade County, first time in a generation, and not only did we win it, we won it by 11%. Uh, we flipped Palm Beach County for the first time in 40 years. And get this, we even, barely, but we did, we won single women in the state of Florida. Even though, even though their entire campaign was spending 10, 10, 20, 30 million dollars attacking me on right to life. And so that shows you uh, that it can be done. And what's happened in Florida, because we've been very clear on all this, we have developed a brand here that we didn't really have. I was born and raised here. I've always loved the state, but we didn't really have that. So we've got a mojo about us, about this freedom focus, and really people revel in the fact that we buck the experts, that we weren't listening to people who ended up being wrong and that we're willing to do it our own way. So what's happened here in Florida is you look around the country, not that many bright spots in terms of some of the stuff that's going on. Certainly not a lot of bright spots in Washington, D.C. Certainly not a lot of bright spots in the states that have their own citizens flooding to get out of there to be able to come right here. But Florida really stands as a shining light. We are carrying on what George Washington called the sacred fire of liberty. Uh, this is... This is a fire that burned in Independence Hall in 1776 when our founders pledged their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor so that they could establish a new nation conceived in liberty. It's the fire that burned at a cemetery in Gettysburg when the first Republican president pledged to this nation a new birth of freedom. It's the fire that burned on the shores of Normandy when the Band of Brothers showed up to end Nazism and to save freedom in the world. 
It's the fire that burned on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial when a young preacher said the Declaration of Independence says what it means and means what it says. It's the sacred fire that burned when a resolute president stood at the gates of the Berlin Wall and said, tear down this wall. We are proof that that fire can burn still. We are proof that that fire can burn not just in Florida, but in other states and indeed everywhere across these United States. Just stand for what's right. Just trust in the Lord and don't ever, ever back down. Thank you all. God bless. So that was Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, and I love how he ended that speech saying this fire still burns. Stand up for truth. Stand up for the Lord. Stand up for liberty and freedom. And we will be right back to talk about this more right here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. We'll be right back. Speaking truth with love. This is Jenna Ellis in the morning. Welcome back. If you missed the previous segment, we played the entire speech of Governor Ron DeSantis that he gave to a group of passionate conservatives in the free state of Florida. I was uh, very blessed to be in attendance there, um, along with a few of our other uh, AFA champions, of course, um, the Wildmans. And, uh, you know, we, we wanted to play this today because I think it's very important as we're heading into the 2024 presidential primary to focus more on what makes us united as conservatives rather than sowing the division within these kind of tribalistic team silos in our nation. And, um, you know, there's been a lot of uh, response from listeners, and I know from a lot of you who are regulars on this show, um, have expressed to me that, you know, some of the attacks from Trump um, on DeSantis, who hasn't even announced, um, you know, are, th- that's not really that helpful, in your opinion. I would agree with that. Um, and I think that we can, as a whole conservative movement, and as a whole conservative team, Um, Frame this conversation very differently, and we can, in our spheres of influence, whether it's at our churches, it's at our school board meetings, it's at our, um, you know, men's uh, Bible studies, our women's Bible studies, our, you know, homeschooling groups, uh, whatever, when we're talking about Trump versus DeSantis or any of these other issues, let's start first with what it means to be a conservative and where we all agree, the things that unite us uh, as Christians, as conservatives, as Americans, and why it's so incredibly important, as Governor DeSantis said, to have that flame of liberty still burn bright. Um, and, And I think this is important for a lot of reasons, but especially because we can't forget that after the primary, there is a general election. And even in 2016, of course, you know, all of the candidates on stage threw barbs and attacks and, uh, you know, personal attacks at each other. And, you know, everyone um, ultimately supported Donald Trump, um, who was on the stage there. Um, but, But a lot of people didn't and sat out the 2016 election because they weren't sure that they could get behind or support Donald Trump. And I'm very grateful for everyone who had the legal right and opportunity, and I would say the privilege of voting 
in 2016 that came out and voted for Donald Trump so that we had the four years of his first term to get to make so much headway and to really reshape and reclaim our national identity, our heritage, our founding values, and what it means uh, to genuinely be conservatives. And I'm grateful to Donald Trump for that. And so I would submit that we need to look past the primary right now into the general election and all of us commit to supporting whoever the nominee is because this is going to be a bitterly contested primary. Um, There are people who are firmly ardent supporters of Donald Trump. There are people who are firmly ardently uh, now against Trump. And there are people who are firmly um, only Ron DeSantis. And 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 that's not you know that's not a wrong position. Um, you as a voter have the right to determine who you're going to vote for on any metric that you prefer. Um, that's one of the blessings of liberty that we the people get to select and prefer our leaders. But what I'm suggesting is that we don't in the primary get so bogged down with our team support that we lose sight of what's coming next. And what is coming next is going to be, in my view, the most hard-fought election to take the Democrats out of power, to reclaim the White House, and to make sure that we can persist as a nation for the next four years and beyond. Because when we are on the brink of World War III, when we are on the brink, uh, and then literally, like that's not even an exaggeration, uh, literally on the brink of World War III, We are on the brink of the worst disaster of a culture war in the scope of American history with the LGBT agenda when we're looking at the jumping the shark of reality that is on the progressive leftist side. We can't just look back to the 1980s and Ronald Reagan and, uh, you know, some of these conservative values. We have to look forward to who is taking up that torch of liberty and who is going to be the champion for us. And I would submit, and I'm going on record today as I have previously, but for all of you who are listening today, I'm going on record saying that I will support and champion and vote for whoever the Republican nominee is because whoever that person is, whether that's Donald Trump, that's Ron DeSantis, that's someone else, that person will be imminently more conservative, champion more of the values that I deeply believe in, champion the U.S. Constitution and the rule of law, champion what it actually means to be an American, champion limited government than anyone that the Democrats can put up. This matters, and it matters to the future of our country, and I think that we all need to pledge to not get into the fights in the primary that will make us resent the opposition because somebody is going to lose. That's the nature of elections. That's the nature of lawsuits. That's the the nature of a lot of things. There's a winner and a loser in the primary. And so we can't get so myopically personality focused that we lose sight of the ultimate goal, which is the persistence of liberty. I'm Jenna Ellis. You're listening to Jenna Ellis in the morning. We will be back on Monday. If you missed Ron DeSantis' full speech, you can always go to AFR.net. Listen to the podcast version of this show. You can reach us at Jenna at AFR.net. Make it a great weekend.